Listener discretion is advised, as this content is intended for adult audiences only. Hidden Signal Q-Code presents Hidden Signal, Assassin's Dream, Part 2. Well, can't you do it now? Darius cried out. Erase the dream from her memories or whatever so we can go home? It's too late for that, Finch said. And that's not how it works, she added. Then tell me how it fucking works. That's a classified, yeah, he grumbled bitterly. Can you at least tell me where we're going? Part of her wanted to. Felt she owed him at least that. But if today taught her anything, it was that trust was a rare commodity around these parts. Sorry. Darius exhaled. Great. The frustration coming off him was hot and palpable. Finch watched his attention shift to the back seat, where Mia was sound asleep, the excitement of the afternoon having clearly taken its toll. She clocked the furrow in his brow, the fatherly gleam in his eyes. She's a strong kid, Finch said, offering a dried-up, crackling olive branch. Yeah, smart, too. Too smart for her own good sometimes. She got that from her mother. He looked sad. I'm sorry, Finch said carefully. Mia mentioned it. Oh, you mean you didn't see the viral video of me plastered at the funeral? No. Yeah, I saw it. Everyone had. Celebrity gossip was the only type of news that wasn't censored. I am an entertainer, Darius said weakly, staring at the window at the whir of brown passing them by. Finch felt Darius relax a little. Listen, I'm sorry this is happening to you. You don't deserve it. Darius softened. No, I'm the one who should be saying sorry. I was being a total douche before, telling you to get lost and shit. <laughs> fuck off. Excuse me? You told me to fuck off. Darius winced. Not my finest moment, I'll admit. He continued. Point is, you were just trying to help us. You are helping us. I don't know why you are, but thank you. They locked eyes, and suddenly Finch felt her cheeks go hot. They booked bordering rooms at a two-star motel outside Salinas for the night. Finch had suggested they could all use the rest, but the truth was, she needed a minute to prepare herself for what came next. She'd been on the run before, but never with a high-maintenance celeb and an eight-year-old girl. She bought a pack of cigarettes, a box of sanitary pads, and a bottle of vodka from the gas station next door and lit up by the pool, the pale moonlight struggling to cast a shimmer on the brown-green water. The first time Finch had come this far north, it was for her fourth attempt at escaping from the orphanage, she had hitched a ride with a depressed trucker who spent the entire drive telling her stories about all the ways his ex-wife was trying to steal his identity. She made it 300 miles before the nuns caught up to her and dragged her ass back to Los Angeles. She spent the next two months in solitary. Goddamn nuns. 
Finch let her cigarette dangle from her lips as she dribbled the vodka onto her knife wound, then wrapped her arm with a makeshift bandage she fashioned from a menstrual pad and tape. She took another drag of her cigarette and thought about Reza. Had he expected something like this would happen? She'd assumed he was simply looking out for her job with his brotherly tough love, but maybe he was trying to protect her from a much darker truth. What if all those missing people on the news weren't the work of a serial killer after all? How many other people, kids like Mia, were out there, she wondered, stolen from their beds because they dared to dream, because someone royally fucked up. Finch didn't notice the cigarette ash fall into her jeans. After an hour of tossing and turning, it was clear Finch wasn't going to fall asleep anytime soon. Her internal clock was set to night hours, after all. She felt her mouth go dry and thought a cold Mountain Dew would kill at least a few agonizing minutes of insomnia. She found Mia leaning against the wall next to the vending machine, eating a Mars bar in a small, mouse-like bites. Shouldn't you be asleep, Finch said. Shouldn't you, Mia answered coolly. Touche, Finch thought. She fed a single into the machine and pressed E5. The Mountain Dew didn't budge. Someone broke it, Mia said matter-of-factly. Finch looked at her skeptically. Someone, huh? Mia stepped off the wall and gave the machine two quick kicks with the flat of her sneaker. A bag of Miss Vicky's fell into the dispenser. I was thirsty, Finch said. Mia shrugged. I take what you can get in life. This friggin' kid. Finch grabbed the chips and settled in against the wall beside the girl. They ate quietly for a minute, the crinkle of plastic wrappers echoing loudly through the brisk night air. Mia broke the silence first. Why didn't you kill those guys back there? The ones who came to my house? Darius was right. This girl was too smart for her own good. Because I'm not a murderer, Finch said. Now it was her turn to sound matter-of-fact. Mia snorted. Don't you, like, work for the government? We're not all bad, Finch said it almost skeptically. She wasn't so sure anymore. A pause. This whole thing, Mia said slowly, it's about my dream, isn't it? You remember it? No, it wasn't like the others. You've had others, Finch said, trying to mask her holy fucking shit face with the slightest of head tilts. Yeah, a few, Mia said. But when I'm awake, daydreams. Finch knew they had existed long ago, but had never heard of anyone still having them. Daydreams were the first to go. The government didn't even need to come up with a program to erase them. They simply faded on their own. A reverse evolution. If this kid was having daydreams, Finch thought, it put a much larger target on her back. Who else have you told about this? Finch asked. Your dad? Just you. Good. Good, Finch said. How about we keep it our little secret? Mia shrugged. Sure. I can keep a secret. Finch let out a laugh. What? Mia said. You remind me of someone, that's all. Who? 
Just someone. Finch couldn't answer that question because Finch didn't know. That night, the nightmare was the worst it had ever been. The nightmare wasn't like the dreams. What made the dreams so riveting, so inviting, was that they weren't hers. They were cosplay in someone else's psyche. The nightmare came from somewhere deep inside her, and it was terrifying. In the nightmare, it is her birthday, and her mom has baked a chocolate cake with pink frosting. It's her dad's job to light the candles. She can almost smell the smoke sliding off the match, hear the air leaving her lips as she blows out seven, eight, nine flames. To this day, Finch has never seen smile so bright as the one stretched across her parents' faces while she makes her wish. I wish they would just die. In the nightmare, Finch hides under her bed covers, listening to grown-up voices shout at each other through paper-thin walls, a vicious argument. I hate them, I hate them, I hate them. And then comes the fire, hot and red and monstrous. It takes over the room like a tidal wave from hell, swallowing everything in its path. Finch calls out for her parents, but they don't seem to hear her. That's when her vision goes dark, but the nightmare isn't over. Quite the opposite, it's just beginning. Because next are the screams, slow and long and torturous, like nails scratching on her eardrums. She'll do anything to make them stop. I'm sorry, okay? I take back my wish. I take it all back. She calls for her parents a second time, but the only sounds she hears in return are those damn screams. It's not until her lips burn off that Finch realizes she's the one screaming. She's the one on fire. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. There's nothing worse than trying to accomplish your goals only to be stopped by your brain. You've probably been in this situation before. Maybe you've been thinking about going on a solo trip, but then your brain tells you something terrible will happen once you get there. Or maybe you really want to leave your job, but your brain tells you to stay because you'll never find the job you want. It's hard when you know what you should do, what's good for you, but your brain says otherwise. Therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. Therapy isn't just for people who have experienced major loss or trauma. Therapy is helpful for anyone at any point in their lives. Even if things are going well for you, it can help increase your self-esteem, change your negative thought patterns and cycles, learn positive coping skills, and so much more. If you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's 100% online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. No more sitting on a wait list for months on end, waiting for a therapist that takes your insurance to be available. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com evergreen to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P evergreen. By late morning, they had reached their destination, a rundown cabin tucked away in wildfire country above the city. Wait in the car, Finch said, putting the barracuda in park. I'll be right back. The cabin was made of tall logs, chalet style, with a pitched roof and a chimney that had never been cleaned. Finch had been here one time before, four years ago, 
when she needed a spot to hide out after she left her fiancé at the altar. It had served its purpose then, just as she hoped it would now. She found a pudgy gentleman under the hood of a forest green 1972 Pontiac GTO, muttering to himself as he tinkered with the engine. Fucking piece of... Retirement looks like shit on you, Finch said. The man looked up, exasperation turning quickly to surprise, then delight. Well, I'll be damned, he said, his mouth twisting into a wry smile. Hey, Frank. Finch was staring into the eyes of the accountant. He was older now, his beer belly significantly bigger than she remembered. But he still had that same Mike Brady smile, that reassuring demeanor that told her everything was going to be a-okay. I need your help. By the time Finch had filled Frank in, it looked like rain. Frank had agreed to help smuggle the girl across the Canadian border. He had a passports guy who owed him one. But a question was still gnawing at him. Tell me, Frank asked, why is this kid so important to you? You're risking an awful lot. He's right. You don't even know her. You can still walk away. Finch answered evenly. The same reason I was so important to you. Frank sighed, understating but wary. This isn't Alaska. They'll call it treason. There's no going back after this. There's already no going back. They're going to kill her, Frank, for a mistake I made. Finch scratched the back of her neck and stared down at the city below. I can't let that happen. Frank nodded, knowing full well there was no changing her mind once she had locked in. I'll make up the guest beds. Days passed and the passports still hadn't arrived. The waiting put a knot in Finch's stomach. Every night that went by was another night where the girl could dream again and draw the agency right to them. But Frank assured her his guy was legit. Quality took time, he said. Just be patient. She'd always had a weak constitution for waiting things out. When Finch was 14, she came down with unexplained asthma. And after weeks of inconclusive tests and bewildered doctors, she took up smoking just so she could get a head start on death. To distract herself, Finch spent the days helping Frank fix up the Pontiac or picking mushrooms in the forest behind his property. She found Mia out there one afternoon, daydreaming under an aging redwood as the wildfire smoke creeped in from over the hills. We should go inside. The air is not safe out here, Finch said, a cough brewing in the back of her voice. I like it, Mia said leaning back on the tree's trunk and closing her eyes. It reminds me of home. On more than one occasion, Finch thought about using her burner phone to call up Reza, but she knew she couldn't risk a trace. She just hoped he hadn't found himself in any shit for giving her that heads up. He'd never survive a northern winter. Darius started sneaking into her room on the second night. He still wasn't Finch's type, but she had to admit... The company was soothing. With him in her bed, she hadn't had the nightmare once. Wake up. Hmm? You were having a dream. A nightmare? 
Finch said. She sat up and rubbed her eyes. What the hell are you doing? Frank! Frank had found the pistol in her backpack and was pointing it in her direction. The kitchen. Darius and Mia were both handcuffed to a radiator, their mouths sealed with duct tape and eyes round with fear. Frank instructed Finch to sit next to them and cuff her own wrists. Why are you doing this, Frank? She said sadly. I'm doing it. Does it matter why? It does to me. Frank looked at her regretfully. He never wanted it to get this far. Then he suddenly felt resentful. This is your fault, he said. You've left me no choice. No choice? You're the one holding the gun. Frank continued. I thought I taught you better than to make some rookie mistake and on a kid for crying out loud. No, none of this would be happening if you'd have just done your goddamn job and erased her dream in the first place. Okay, so I fucked up, Finch admitted. You're really going to let them kill her for my mistake? Can't you see? I'm fixing your mistake. If I turn them in now, they won't kill her. No, they'll keep her in solitary for the rest of her life. She's not a terrorist, Frank. She's just a kid who had a stupid fucking dream. Frank paused, looking at the floor. That's it, though. She's not any kid. And the dream she had? Let's just say dangerous people find it dangerous. And you don't want to mess with these people. What the hell are you talking about? Finch felt her chest go taut. Frank went on. Why do you think they really erase people's dreams, huh? Dream terrorism. Don't be so naive, Finch. You think this whole operation is because of a few armed nut jobs? That's never moved the needle before. False flags, Finch said, realizing. There never was a virus. The perfect pill to get a divided country to swallow a nationwide ban. But I don't understand. If there was never a threat, why go after dreams? A dream is a powerful thing. One dream can change everything. And these people don't want things to change. Because if things change, they lose power. It may start with candy and butterflies, but then it grows, spreads like wildfire, and it ends with revolution. You think they're going to let that happen? Finch knew they wouldn't. What she didn't know was how she could have been so blind to the truth all these years. Was she really that impressionable? Finch's chest cavity continued to tighten, like someone was pulling the threads on a very stiff corset. She pawed at her throat, digging for air. I, 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 can't, I can't breathe, she said, panic setting in. Yeah, I'm not falling for that. No, really, I'm having a panic attack, Finch said weakly, gulping for breath with every word. She was about to faint. Frank could see she wasn't faking. Shit, Frank raced over to her placing the gun down as he grabbed her shoulders and squeezed. Finch! Finch! Breathe! In! Out! In! Finch took in a couple of deep gulps of air. 
There you go. In? Finch kneed Frank hard in the groin, sending him toppling onto his back in pain. She grabbed her gun off the floor with her free hand and aimed it at Frank's head. Keys, Frank. He did as she said and slid the tiny silver key across the floor. You played me, he said as she loosened her cuffs. Yeah, well, you played me first. Finch kept her gun on Frank as she freed Darius and Mia from their restraints and tossed them her car keys. Start the car. What about you? Darius said to her. I need a minute. Finch, no! Mia cried. Don't worry, I'm right behind you guys, Finch said. When the pair were out of earshot, Finch turned back to Frank, her gun still drawn on him. I should put a bullet in your chest right now, she said. But you won't, he said. No, Frank, I'm not like you. She cuffed him to the radiator instead. I wasn't trying to hurt her. I was trying to protect you. Frank sounded almost regretful. They'll keep coming for you, Finchie. They won't let either of you live now. Her dream is too important. I can't protect you. I don't need your protection anymore. Heart pounding, Finch ran toward the idling Barracuda. She tried to tell herself Frank was aging, not in his right mind. The only explanation for such a relentless betrayal that or he owed money to a knee-breaking loan shark. Anything was better than facing the harsh reality that he'd always been a stone-cold James Bond, willing to cross any line for the mission. It's locked, Finch said, pulling at the handle. Darius didn't move. Finch said louder, Darius, come on, let me in. Mia went to unlock the door, but Darius stopped her. No, Mia. He rolled down his window and spoke to Finch with heart and calm. It was you, he said. You made me believe some idiot screwed up, forgot to erase Mia's dream. But it was you all along. You are the reason my daughter's life is in danger. Finch saw the resolve in his face, figured there was no use in arguing with him. I am, she said. You lied to us. I know, and I'm sorry. I really am, but I'm also your only way out of this. I'm taking Mia back to L.A. What? Darius, no, you can't. Dad, no, I don't want to go, Mia shouted. Quiet, Mia. Darius turned back to Finch. He said they won't hurt her if we turn ourselves in, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save my daughter. He's full of shit, Darius. Listen to me. We have to keep going. Goodbye, Finch. And he drove off, leaving Finch standing in a cloud of swirling dust. Finch found the keys to Frank's Pontiac under the visor. If she could catch up to Darius, maybe she could change his mind. She had to at least try. Finch jammed the key into the ignition, but the engine didn't want to turn over. Not now, not now, she cried. She tried again. Come on, girl, she said it gingerly, like she was speaking to a spooked horse. Start for me, just start for me. After two more tries, Finch banged the steering wheel with her palms. Fuck, she yelled. 
How did everything get so off track? Just a week ago, Finch was counting kittens, and now, in, out, in. She blew a deep exhale and gave the key another turn, slow and smooth, holding her breath until the engine finally roared to life. That's my girl, she said loudly, ecstatically. Finch hit the gas and sped towards the highway, skidding rocks and pretending she didn't hear the ailing moan of the engine, telling her to slow the fuck down. She pushed the speedometer to 80, 90. Finch slammed her brakes and took in the wreckage. The Barracuda was flipped upside down, completely destroyed. The passenger side door had ripped off. Glass and debris littered the road like confetti. Gasoline was dripping from the punctured tank into a growing puddle on the pavement. Finch stepped into the road and saw the engine had caught fire. Those flames. Finch found herself lost in those flames. But it wasn't the nightmare that was flashing before her eyes now. It was a memory. She's at the kitchen table, licking pink frosting off birthday candles. Her mom is cutting chocolate cake into pieces. A piece for Finch, a piece for Mom, one for Dad, and a fourth piece for her younger sister, Emily. What did you wish for, Emily says. It's a secret, Finch says. I can keep a secret, Emily says. Then Finch is under her bed covers, listening to those angry voices. She closes her eyes for just a moment. Finch? Finch, wake up! Emily says from her side of the room. What happened? You were talking in your sleep. I was? Finch turns to face her sister. Who are you talking to? I I can't remember. The smoke comes from the fire like a sudden fog. Finch and Emily hide under her bed, scared. Stay here, Emily tells her. I'm going to find mom and dad. Emily, no, Finch says. I'll be right back and Emily's gone. Soon it's becoming difficult for Finch to breathe. Her chest is tight. She's getting hot. She calls out for mom, for dad, but she can't hear her voice over the sound of her panic gasps. She whispers for Emily as the room starts to spin. A man appears in the doorway, silhouetted in red-orange flames. He drags Finch out from under the bed tenderly swooping her up in his arms. Just breathe, the man says. In, out, in. Finch looks up and stares into the eyes of a young Frank. Then it's two days later and Finch is in a hospital bed, the serious men talking over her sleeping frame. But she's not sleeping, she's listening. The parents, a cold voice said, gone. Frank says. And the other girl? I could only save one. You should have left her too. She's just a kid, Sim. She doesn't know anything. She had the dream. And I erased it. What happens if it comes back? Are you prepared to personally deal with her? A pause. Frank replies. I am. The stereo plays Hey Jude as Finch sits in the back seat of a matte black sedan. Frank is whistling the melody as he drives, forcing a stiff upbeatness 
It's only for a little while, he tells her. I'll come back for you, I promise. Frank drops Finch off outside the orphanage, and she watches him drive away. Finch woke from her memory with a jolt and sprinted towards the flaming car. Nightmare be damned, she found Darius unconscious with a nasty bump to the head and what looked like a split femur. Mia was banged up, but moving. Finch, she said weakly. Finch reached her arms through the shattered window. Grab my hand, grab it. The girl did, and Finch gently pulled her little body to safety. I got you, I got you, Finch said in her most consoling voice. My dad, Mia said as Finch carried her back to the Pontiac and laid her down in the back seat. You have to save my dad! Finch ran back to the burning car where Darius was moaning in his seat as he came to. Help me, help, he cried. She took her Swiss army knife from her pocket and methodically cut away his seatbelt. Then she reached for his hand. It was only a matter of seconds until this thing was bound to blow but she stopped short of grabbing it, remembering what Frank had said. One dream can change everything. Finch pulled her hand back. Darius's face dropped as he realized she was going to leave him there. She was going to let him die. No, no, wait, please, please, Darius begged. I'm sorry, Finch said. She really was but she couldn't let him take the girl back to L.A., not with everything she knew now, not with revolution on the horizon. Don't leave me, Darius started to cry. Please don't leave me. I'm so sorry, Finch said again, stumbling backwards and away from the wreck. Her dream is too important. Finch turned and walked back to the girl. The Barracuda burst into violent flames. Can I get y'all anything else? The waitress wore metallic blue eyeshadow and the pout of a cover model. Just the bill, Finch said. Mia had eaten almost an entire plate of pancakes, plus two sausages and a glass of OJ to herself, and Finch was running low on cash. Breakfast is on the house, the waitress smiled. Really? Finch sounded skeptical. Thanks. Does that mean I can have another OJ? Mia asked with a big grin. Sure, thanks, sweetie. The waitress lingered. You two are those fugitives from the news, she said, not exactly asking a question. Finch grazed the pistol in her waistband, hardening. No, we're not. They'd been on the run for three weeks and she wasn't about to get busted over a plate of cold pancakes. Delilah! Fucking shit. Finch stood up and grabbed Mia's hand. Look, thanks for breakfast, but we gotta get on the road. A second waitress came over to their booth, and that's when Finch saw it. The rainbow hair. The pierced eyebrows. Eyeliner as thick as mud. It was the woman from Mia's dream. You made it, Delilah said, smiling that rainbow hair falling gently down her shoulders. We've been waiting for you.
Hidden Signal Assassin's Dream is narrated by Erica Lewis. Written by Kat Senyik. Directed by Lauren Sinelli. Executive produced by Rob Herding, Sandra Yi Ling, and Shin Yin Hee Yu. Co-producers Lauren Sinelli, Sarah Ma, and Tom Breck. Original score and composition by Darren Johnson. Audio engineering and editing by Sarah Ma. Script supervisor Tom Breck. Special thanks to Jack Friedman and Nick Shanks. This podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. Hidden Signal is a Q-Code production. Sound recording copyright 2023 by Q-Code Media Inc. Everyone needs a break from the real world. That's why we played games as kids, and that's why we should play games as adults. I'm Troy Lavalle, And I'm Joe O'Brien. And back in 2015, we started a podcast called The Glass Cannon Podcast, a show made up of comedians and actors playing a fantasy role-playing game. And now is the perfect time to start listening because we just started a brand new story. It's basically Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones meets X-Files. Search for The Glass Cannon Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Hey, life is hard, so come play pretend with us. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.